Welcome back to the Trees and Nylon podcast. I am your host, Trees and Nylon. You can call me Trees, Nylon, whatever you want, as long as it's not my real name. And I'm joined today by a gazelle that got turned into a human and went to Paris for art school. The trail runner's true king is Patrick Stangby. How are you doing today? Oh, good. I mean, thanks for the introduction. It was <laughs> quite a handful, but I mean... <laughs> When it comes from someone American, I think it's okay. You couldn't say that as a Scandinavian, you could never have that introduction. So <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, the Americans are all about excess, you know. <clears throat> Patrick, at the very start of the episode, I have to ask you the question, would you like to talk about trees or nylon first? Because with this podcast, we kind of go through talking about both of those subjects, going through a past, present, and then future progression for both of them. So you tell me, trees or nylon? Probably trees. trees. I mean, Very I like nylon, but if I have to choose trees, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can probably talk about nylon for a little bit longer too. That's how it normally goes on here. But um, awesome. So starting off with trees, tell me a little bit about um, how you got into the whole, you know, I know you do running, but, you know, hiking, backpacking, anything else that you really do. How did it all begin with you? I grew up in like Oslo suburbia, so like 40 minutes outside of the city. And my sort of row of houses was the final row just before the forest. So basically I could escape my own garden and be on the trail. Oh. So that that's probably how and that's probably why. So <laughs> for me, the trails, it was something like natural. It was something also very familiar. It was not something... Of course, it was something to play and to explore, but it also felt like my own habitat since I basically grew up. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I did a lot of like free ride mountain biking when I was younger, but we also just like we were building cabins in trees and I mean, just being out in nature playing when I was young. So for me, it was always about play and probably also the trail running is to some extent about play or sense yeah. of freedom. So, and yeah, I was a snowboarder since I was probably around eight or 10 years old and really depends like where I want to start the mm -hmm. like real story about it. But <laughs> um, I was like snowboarding in resorts since I was around 10. So um, yeah, that was a big part of my upbringing, spending a lot of time outside, in, especially in winter, but also in summer. So, of course, then, as you said, like I ended up studying and um, doing other stuff. So probably disappeared for a while. But I mean, I was then eager to get back. I felt like I lost some sort of connection probably and wanted to re-explore mm. or find it again. And that's how I ended up in trail running, but also like so occasionally hiking, going camping, now also riding a bike again, which I used to do when I was younger, but probably when I was younger, I wouldn't think this guy on the road bike or gravel <laughs> bike in the forest would look very cool in his like Lycra, but I mean, now that's me as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you had that, you had that initial connection just kind of naturally with going outside. Cause it was just, you know, a place to go, like the most easy place to access as a kid. And you said you kind of lost that when you were in university or just yeah. because you grew up and you just didn't want to go outside as much had like a rebel phase. What was no, that about? Not really, but I think, I mean, I mean, I was used to having a lot of free time. So, mm -hmm. I mean, when you study and if you try to study yeah. hard and you've tried me, maybe like also me, I mean, I had to work through my university. So mm -hmm. I, I mean, if you work part-time while you are trying to study in a quite ambitious 
way, then I mean, it can be difficult, right? So, but I mean, I also, then I lived in Bergen, a city on the west coast of Norway, very beautiful, but it's raining a lot, probably more than London. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's quite bad weather, but when the weather is good, it's beautiful. And that's a town which also has like some mountains. So I would sometimes like go on these like super short, like two, three kilometer hike, but some elevation up to the mountains just next to the city. So I never lost it completely, but it was not a part of my daily routine to the same extent that it maybe was when I was young or that it is today. Okay. And so, yeah, that, that actually leads pretty nicely into the next segment. Uh, what is your outdoor activity lifestyle like now? Quite intense. Right now, I'm actually a bit overworked and sick, actually. So I mean, oh, shouldn't tell sorry. anyone, but uh, I was at the doctor yesterday and I think my age caught up to me and I'm just 32 uh, years old. But I mean, I try to probably work a very high, like a very intense work lifestyle and then mm. train as a professional athlete without being a professional athlete. <laughs> and I thought, I thought I could do it for a while and probably I can still find a way to do it, but I think I have to manage my workload a bit better because mm. now, now it's been quite intense, but, uh, and we'll probably get into that, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, but basically I'm trying to run six days a week. I prefer to have a rest day at least most of the year. Uh, probably it's also more of a mental rest day. I mean, I love doing the running, but of course it's quite also taxing on your body, but also mentally when you try to always push. Mm. So for me, that's normally like, since, since I'm a weekend warrior working <laughs> as well, it yeah. uh, for me, it's normally like Monday that is a day off. And maybe it's like mm. counterproductive to people who really want to start their week and going running or doing something. But for me, running has often been the day where I can just like, if I want to chill after work and just see some friends and cook immediately after work, I can do that because normally, I mean, people who want to socialize with me on a weekday, they need to meet me after eight or nine mm. because normally I'm working and then I'm exercising. Right. But yeah. I think also as a male, I at least find a lot of my friends now, they are either they are people I met through running or through cycling or through that community, or it's the friends I had from before who also participate in those activities. Because at least here, I don't know how it is where you are, but it's not very common that on a Saturday morning that you see like six or seven guys going for a brunch with their friends. That's something you would see a lot of uh, uh, like women do, right, on a mm-hmm. weekend. And I think it would be nice to do as a male as well, but... Yeah. Uh, for example, we would go riding or go like running and then maybe we get a coffee after or something, mm. but it's often oriented around an activity. And I think that's nice, mm. but that's also in the end how I end up socializing yeah. at least through the week. And maybe on the weekend, I also have more time. Mm. Okay. Awesome. Um, you kind of glossed over, I think I'm just going to try to sprinkle in some questions as, as you're talking. Um, so let's see, let's see. Oh, here we are. Uh, Mad Mountain Man wants to ask, and this is kind of talking about, uh, you know, currently uh, your opinion. What is your favorite place to run? In general, that would be super yeah. hard. <laughs> Just no, but for general. me, I, I mean, actually, <laughs> I'm going to be this annoying guy now, but I'm also very tired of people always asking for favorites or best stuff. I understand people just want suggestions, you Uh know, but for me, I mean, I love my local trails because I have a good connection to my local trails, but I mean, they are not the most beautiful trails. 
But for example, for me, it's not an option to be running in Chamonix every day. And I'm not, <laughs> it's not like I should ask someone from the like Marine County to go running in Chamonix every day because they have beautiful trails as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, at least what I would say, it's some like it's something that involves some part of like some extent of nature. I also have like I can just go out my door and run in the city and it's not the most beautiful thing for me, but Mm-hmm. To just be able to access some sort of like uh, nature, I think it is a beautiful thing, and uh, not all people can even do that very easily. So, uh, and I'm also happy to often explore different kind of environments or nature. Or, I mean, I would not prefer to be running in a desert all the time, but a few times I ran in something close to a desert. I thought it was super nice or funny or interesting. Yeah. So I probably, I mean, I in general I don't really have favorites. So that's a strange, uh, something some people don't like because they ask me, what's your favorite jacket? And I'm like, yeah, but for, yeah. for what, you know, and yeah, yeah. when no, I understand that. probably, <laughs> I get that for sure. I mean, it's kind of like when people ask you like, or I guess when people ask me, I'm sure they ask you as well, what jacket should I buy or what shoe should I buy? And then it's just like, okay, well, here's all the questions you have to answer before I can tell you what I would say. Yeah. Like, it's like, I need so a backpack. Different... It's like good for you, you know I mean? But yeah. what are you going to use it for? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There's just yeah. so many things you have to answer. Uh, another one, we can kind of talk about this since we're talking about running now. Um, what are some tips for a beginning mountain runner? Yeah, I think what is mostly important when you start out running is that often maybe you were not a runner. I mean, also not sure about someone's history in sport. I think if mm-hmm. you did a lot of sports and even competitively, your body can take a lot of load, mm-hmm. uh, even if it was not running. But I think ease into it because what happens with many people is they had zero motivation to train. And then all of a sudden they find some motivation and they have like overload of inf- like uh, motivation. But, but your body needs to adapt. So I think uh, have fun, go out, like enjoy it, but um, do it gradually. So I would suggest that from someone who didn't used to run before, maybe go out like every other day and go out for between 30 minutes to one hour. If you feel like 30 minutes is more than enough, it's more than enough. And then you can just like gradually increase the time you spend out. And also I would con- like tell people to don't consider so much your watch if you're running with a GPS watch or managing your pace. Yeah. I mean, you can start managing your pace in your intervals when you're training for something. Also me, I mean, 70 to 80% of my training is quite like moderate or like normal pace, like say easy pace or recovery pace. Mm-hmm. And of course my recovery pace, if I go alone, it's something else than if I go with uh, some friends of mine who are not in the same shape but it's not going to destroy my shape at all if I'm yeah. going at their pace. What will, I mean, make me better is my intervals and the speed work I do and the total load. So I think sometimes when people start out, they are so worried about their average pace or their average this and that, and that they always mm-hmm. need to progress, but you will not say like see progress in every workout. I mean, and life is not like that. So just try to enjoy it and have fun because probably also some of the reason that you wanted to go out was because you saw some imagery of people on a beautiful trail, like connecting with nature and this, this sort of like more, let's call it spiritual uh, element, but then you go out and everything you are thinking about is managing your pace. And then you're like, I mean, then you don't really get what you wanted (laughs) to begin with. Right. Yeah. Um, So you definitely, uh, that was from Jossie, that question. And this question is from Carloco Berrigan. Uh, He was going to ask you, what's your best advice for getting your running pace down? And you kind of already answered that of kind of just take it at intervals and just measure along the way. 
Yeah, I mean, just like go slow when you need to recover. Like 70% of your training should be about recovery and building mm -hmm. volume. And then between 30 or 20 to 30% can be about like getting more speed. So then you should do like maybe longer intervals, shorter intervals, and just build them from there. And with the intervals, of course, there's like a variety of what you can do. You can do pyramid stuff. You can do minutes. You can do based on uh, 400 meter, 1,000 meter, one mile, two miles. Depends mm -hmm. on what you want to do and everything can be beneficial. But what I should say about the intervals is that you should never have very long breaks or recovery periods. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if your interval is less than maybe some people will argue with me, but let's, let's try to make it simple. But if your intervals are less than four minutes, you should not have more than one minute recovery. Because what mm -hmm. happens then if you run too fast during your interval that you want to have recovery for more than one minute, mm -hmm. you are actually running too fast to actually recover. Mm. So that's also a way to keep the pace at the level it should be. And also during intervals, you shouldn't go 100%. Even if okay. it looks cool on Strava or whatever, <laughs> yeah. you should go maybe at like 90% and yeah, maybe 85 for some people, depends on how also how many intervals you do in a week. Because someone professional, they might have four or five intervals mm -hmm. uh, in a week. So then, of course, they might even just be running at 85% or 80 yeah. Um, that kind of reminds me what you're saying about four minutes of on one minute of, of recovery. Um, uh, I tore my ACL back whew, a long time ago, but part of the recovery process was a program where, um, you worked up to intervals of running to, you know, be able to run again. And part of that interval was, you know, five, there was a five minute segment and then you did one minute of jogging, then you did two minutes of jogging, then you did three minutes, and then you know the other the other two and three and all that were walking until eventually um you keep upping it till you're just jogging for 30 minutes straight, which is something that so I played soccer my like whole life basically. And that wasn't just like jogging for 30 minutes seemed like a lot to me. But then by the end of it, I had I was running like my fastest mile I'd ever I had ever run just because of that incremental training of slowly getting better and better at it. And it takes time. I think you need yeah. to have patience. And I think that's what <laughs> taught me is you need to have patience. And a lot of people mm -hmm. today, they have zero patience and very yeah. short attention span. Mm -hmm. So probably that's the best thing you can learn from running is like, yeah, it takes time and you need to, I mean, you can have as much ego as you want, but if you don't do the work, it doesn't matter if you have talent in running, yeah. you need to do the work. So exactly. Yeah. If you don't do the work, it's okay to have talent, but I mean, you will not arrive anywhere. <laughs> yeah. What's that phrase? What? hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard have you heard that probably heard something <laughs> like it but i cannot remember yeah. this one at least so. <laughs> yeah um all right what else we got we have uh elliot king wants to know alpha fly or vapor fly i think the vapor fly next percent um two is probably the best shoe and you can see now as well there's very few people who run in the alpha fly uh, i still have the alpha fly and of course i'm mm -hmm. going to use it until it's finished because it's quite expensive as a shoe <laughs> but mm -hmm. it's not very stable so i think it doesn't really work for everyone so mm -hmm. but also like this kind of shoe I, I think a lot of people find it motivating to be buying this kind of shoes and have fun with this kind of shoes but you need to really train a lot to feel the effect or it's also mostly a racing shoe. But I think if you can afford it and you have fun with it, I think it's completely fine. But I think also too many people end up buying this kind of product because they feel they need to have it. And in mm -hmm. the end, you could have a 
you could have almost the same level of product for maybe half the price, which is more than good enough unless you did everything you could in order to reach your personal best and then you want to add this shoe on top, then it makes sense maybe. Awesome. There you go. Um, I think that is all the running questions I have for you. So now I'll ask you the future portion. Are there any places you'd love to go, not just for running, but kind of just being outside in general, places you want to go, places you want to go back to, anything like that? Yeah, I was really planning to go to the Himalayas, uh, actually in 2020. Oh, now it's 2022, maybe it can <laughs> <Yeah>. happen. <laughs> no, I was also planning to go one time before that it couldn't happen because of an earthquake. So, I mean, I think oh. there's more important things than my trip to Nepal as well. Yeah. Uh, but that's at least something on my agenda. So depending on how this year is working out, I'm probably trying to go in October or November if I can make it happen with work. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I also really want to run in the us like i i dream about uh-huh. running the hard rock 100 mm-hmm. so in colorado so i think that would be amazing to go and look at that course at some point and also i would really love to go running in patagonia and uh-huh. iceland and i'm going to iceland this summer for the first time so oh. i'm super excited people are telling me the weather will be terrible even in july and super windy but i mean mm-hmm. i think i will be okay so it yeah. depends on your expectations, but I mean, the July should be the best month of year to visit Iceland. So if it's mm-hmm. windy in July, then I mean, <laughs> just consider what it would be like in October. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'll manage. <laughs> How many shoes do you bring when you go on a trip like that? And do you like, I guess it's kind of a two-part question. How many trips do you go on for like purely running and how many shoes do you bring when you do that? Depends on what is the trip, because for example, mm-hmm. this summer, I was like basically living out of the car for first like three weeks. Mm-hmm. And then I was, uh, I went to Chamonix for a month. I worked a bit from there and then I was like renting a super small flat in mm-hmm. someone's house. <laughs> uh, but I mean, depends because if I'm in a car, I can bring some stuff, but if I'm mostly yeah. doing trail running now, I'm rotating maybe three pair of shoes. I think that's mm-hmm. sufficient. And, uh, but of course I give, might bring some more, but I try to keep my running wardrobe not too big, but I'm also been, I've been testing some stuff, giving some feedback and then I had some more, but uh, if there's something that doesn't really work for me, I end up giving it to some friends or finding someone who actually needs the product more than me, because it doesn't make any sense that I just keep 20 pairs of running shoes on my balcony. Mm-hmm. So even if that ha- like that happens at times, but then I'm like, okay, now I really need to <laughs> figure this shit out. So yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. I get that. I mean, I don't, but I do. I understand not wanting to overconsume. that part. I get Um, very cool. Well, moving on, we will now move on to the nylon section. So Oh, actually, before we do that, I have one more one more last question from Advanced Rock. He wants to know, when are you coming to the UK to do a race? He didn't invite me yet, so let's see. <laughs> this year's schedule is going is looking super busy already, so probably not this year, but um, mm-hmm. let's see. I mean, I would like to also go hiking and uh, run in England and even more so in Scotland. I really want to do a few races in Scotland's like a Glencoe Sky Race and a few others. So, but let's see. It's always a matter of trying to get the 
yeah, things to work out. Also, <laughs> when you run really long distance, you cannot run a lot of races through the year. Some mm -hmm. people try for a season or two, but uh, they get burnt out really, really easily. So I try to mm -hmm. maybe run like three, four bigger races. And then, of course, I can do some casual stuff, some shorter ones and just have mm -hmm. fun. But uh, you also see with like elite marathoners, they run two races a year. Not mm -hmm. because they cannot do more races, but yeah. I mean, it's quite uh, taxing on your body. So, mm -hmm. and what does what does a shorter race mean to you? Like, what is what does a casual fun race look like? How many kilometers? I mean, uh, if it's a trail race, I think it's also a bit about like sort of how ambitious it is. But if it's mm -hmm. like a tw even for me, like a twenty k trail race is something shorter. But I mean. <laughs> Uh, if you go hard, of course, it's, it's still painful. I mean, oh. if you go really hard, I, I mean, the, your effort is, uh, is kind of the same. But I mean, it's something also mentally when you race for 10 hours or 15 hours. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also the mental aspect. Of course, your body is getting crazy. tired, but you're focused for 10 hours on yeah. like racing. So sometimes wild. it takes me a few days to just recover also mentally. <laughs> Would think so i would think so 10 hours of just running um it kind of reminds me of man i don't want to okay there were like aztec and i think the romans or greeks had the same kind of thing just runners that would deliver messages to people that would just run yeah, like yeah. hundreds of miles even fish, i think in like um, in south america there were even people running from the sea with fish Oh, really? in the Aztecs, I think. So like the really, really rich people or the king or whoever, like they would order fish, fresh fish from the sea <laughs> and someone uh -huh. was running the fish up and it was quite a well-paid job, I think. So maybe if I was living back then, I <laughs> could have done well. <laughs> You're making a killing, delivering fish for the king. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so now we can officially move on to the nylon section of the podcast. Uh Let's talk a little bit about your beginning. And this kind of ties into one touche, two ball wants to know what is your journey to become who you are today? It's basically the same question, but I'll, I'll shout them out just because. So yeah, talk, talk a little bit about your beginnings with getting into clothing, design, fashion, whatever, whatever as, uh, facet you talk about. Yeah, I'm not sure if like if it's super normal as a sort of trajectory or like how <laughs> how it happened. But um, uh -huh. I mean, I grew up with my grandfather selling textile or fabric. Mm. Okay. So he used to, that was also the reason why I used to have the old G-Wagon, which I did, which was a nightmare to fix if you don't know how to <laughs> fix it. So, which I didn't. So now it's gone and I don't think it's super sustainable to have it anymore. If it's old and you take care of it, I think it's good. But to buy a new diesel car, I would not. <laughs> but he used to have like uh, all these textiles in the back of his uh, G-Wagon and he was driving around and selling fabric. So I think for me, I was nothing like, maybe I was more interested in the sensation of garments more than I was interested in say fashion because mm -hmm. I don't really like the word fashion I prefer clothing but I think in the end the industry is called fashion and that's yeah. at least how people separate sports and other clothes so I mean mm -hmm. I'm happy with this distinction but uh, yeah and then I think I understood probably at some point like then I was like I remember I was when I was 10, I was chopping wood with my grandfather in order to get some cash to buy some denim. <laughs> and like, I don't think too, too many 10 years old, 10 year olds are into denim. And it was not even about the brand. It was like, I remember the sensation of this like yeah. really heavy denim. And I was like excited about it. <laughs> so probably it existed somehow or for some reason. 
And, and then I think I realized when I was like 15, 16, or probably, I, I mean, I always cared about how I was dressing. I was a snowboarder when I was younger and there was probably mm. some aspects of that, which also related to how you dressed. Uh, but then I realized like I was, I'm not sure why I bought them, but I bought some like the British men's fashion magazines, but quite mm. niche. Mm-hmm. And then I saw like some editorials or I saw some stuff and I realized that some of the music I was listening to, like post-punk stuff and like stuff which I thought was quite underground, but probably, I mean, it was not even from my current time, right? So it was something that was underground 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Then uh, I realized there was people making fashion that was uh, embedding the sort of messaging or the Mm -hmm. values of uh, Mm -hmm. like this music scene. And I thought like fashion was about luxury and probably <laughs> these brands were also luxury, but it was not like the traditional luxury that I envisioned. Yeah. So I was like, oh, it's so actually people making product that has some sort of values embodied into the product. And for me, I thought it was super cool that you can maybe buy a coat from Ralph Simmons and the coat would say something about who you wanted to be or who you tried mm. to be. And then, of course, it's also sad today that we really realize that people need product in order to tell who they are. But I mean, it's also a very, it's a very easy way to present yourself and to say something <laughs> about who you are rather than actually having to say it. Yeah. I think I understood that there, there was like some other values in, embedded into a product outside of only the functional values. So mm-hmm. there was like symbolic value to clothing as well. So Mm -hmm. this was something that really fascinated me in those years. And when I was studying and trying to understand, and then also probably what I saw was when I started running again, that I, I mean, I worked in fashion while I studied and I left it because I was tired about like the whole system and how it's rigged. And I think that's a completely different conversation, Mm. uh, how it's rigged as a system. (laughs) But um, I mean, yeah, basically it's a, it's a system off and for the elite and then other people want to participate in the conversation but it's not easy to access and be a part of the conversation because of how the system is built yeah sounds like a lot of other systems that we live in yeah a lot of other systems so but then it's like for me it was better to just escape it because i don't i didn't need this system in my life i was actually happy to maybe just be sometimes looking at what was happening and sometimes Mm -hmm. being partly a consumer uh, so, but uh, then I started running and I was uh, actually, when I started running, I was not really feeling that I was a runner. I could not relate to other runners because my taste or my values, at least I perceive them to be different than big parts of that community. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of other people felt the same and still feel the same. And also a lot of female runners I know, or people mm-hmm. who wanted to start running, who came from maybe say more like an arts background or a more liberal background they don't really feel like the brands in running especially maybe in outdoor now it's slightly different but in running like you see always like some brands doing an advertising like the man has to be like super fit bulky male with like knee long shorts and super traditional (laughs) masculine and everything he's wearing is like blue and orange and then the girl (laughs) she's wearing pink and uh, yeah pink and light blue and she's allowed to wear like this or allowed to wear i'm saying with like the cautious but they are pushing yeah. her to wear hot pants and like a uh like running bra but the guy mm-hmm. is in a long sleeve and like knee long shorts so mm-hmm. in the end like if you're a true runner you see this imagery you don't think like they are not even training in the same season 
because it's not like a woman <laughs> is sweating so much more than a man, so she needs to wear less clothes. Yeah. But he said something about like the general values of the society still. Definitely. And that's also my critique of a lot of people I met in sport versus people I met in fashion. And people like to say that people in fashion are so like yeah, close-minded and blah, 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 and only care about uh, their own little group. Really? But I feel like most people I met in fashion are very open-minded. They are very curious. They are open to new ideas. They are always mm. like searching for something. Uh, while people I met in sport sometimes would maybe benefit uh, of having gone to an art museum and not every weekend to the ski resort, you know, yeah. because sometimes I feel they are very close-minded in how they perceive society outside of the activity that they know mm. very well. Yeah. So I'm I mean, probably sense. trying to be some sort of a bridge. I'm not sure if I can succeed or anyone else trying to be a bridge can succeed, but uh, mm. I think it's worth trying because in this way we can also get other people outdoors yeah, that's I like that. That's really cool. I you were talking about the uh the uh the hot pants and the running the running bra and all that and just remind me of the phrase shrink it and pink it. Um talking about just anything relating to women's fashion of just make it smaller and make it pink and then just upcharge it for women, you know, pay the pink tax basically. Um I think it's very prevalent. And I I had on um Georgia Smith, I don't know if you're familiar with her, and she yeah. was kind of talking about, you know, being a woman outdoors talking about um the gender the gender differences in the style that they have to wear and you know how we we brought up that um men's clothing is considered genderless at sometimes and women's clothing is just as not and it, what you related yeah. to with the sport is that i know like i've had uh friends that did cross country and stuff in high school and i've seen pictures that you've posted and like the, it doesn't really differ. The clothing does not really differ for men and women. And like the actual scene, the people that are really doing it, but then probably the sports marketers that are making the clothes are saying, well, the men yeah, have to be wearing Yeah, because they want to stuff. sell to the average population, right? Exactly. So, they're, I mean, not, they're not selling yeah. to the you know the top of the line. They're not selling to the actual professionals. They're just selling to the mainstream people and kind of just Yeah, and they wouldn't really want quo. to have a male runner as a model because probably his shorts were too short and the guy was too skinny, right? So he's like... Yeah doesn't look masculine enough to be in a running campaign when he's a runner. So, I mean, mm -hmm. something it's is just, wrong. Exactly. It's, it's just weird. It's weird. But I understand that completely, especially as someone coming from, I got a marketing degree and um, just like looking at advertisements and stuff. I, we had a whole class that was on like diversity and international um, marketing and stuff. And that was one of the things we talked about was um, the like prevalence of culture in advertisements and how uh, advertisements differ across countries. And that was one of the things we talked about was like traditionally masculine societies usually have like this traditionally masculine man portrayed in all their stuff. Like this is the ideal person that this is what you should look like. Even if it's not like you're saying what an actual professional would look like, they still have to push yeah, that yeah. message. Very interesting stuff. Um, so that was your intro. Uh, if I may ask, what did you study at university? Was it something fashion or clothing related? Not really. I mean, I didn't feel like I had to study it. I studied uh -huh. uh, brand management okay. so, and mostly consumer psychology. So mm -hmm. my thesis was as well, mostly on consumer psychology. So like more okay. social anthropology than maybe yeah. branding related in the end. Okay. Um, so now we will move on to your current situation with Nylon. I have a lot of questions about uh, ROA. 
or ROA? Is, is it just ROA? I assume that's fine. ROA is cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I have a lot of questions about ROA. Um, but before we do that, tell me a little bit about some of the brands that you enjoy wearing, some of the styles you like seeing, just kind of your general um, preferences, I guess, for your style nowadays. I think in general, probably I have, I am ha- having like sort of like a wardrobe, but I probably had for 10 years. And of course, mm-hmm. also like the brands I wear, they change and probably also some of the styles I wear, they change slightly. But I mean, I'm sitting in front of my coats here and probably here now I'm having like, let's say I have 10 coats mm-hmm. and half of those coats are more than five years old oh, wow. at least. So, and so I don't really buy a lot, but I know what I like and I probably already knew what I like and I try to add mm-hmm. what I'm missing. Yeah. And then maybe sometimes I also upgrade something I have and then I try to get rid of it. But mm-hmm. I think I, I, it's also a very male thing to do, but I mean, I realized after a while that for example, I like to wear certain pieces. Like I, I love to wear shirt jackets because it's something mm-hmm. formal, but not super formal. Then I wear a lot of fleece and then I wear either tailored trousers or more like soft gel trousers. Mm-hmm. So for example, for example, I don't own a pair of sweatpants. I don't own a hoodie. And it's something oh. like super common today to, for <laughs> people to have in, in their wardrobe. Yeah. But uh, I owned a hoodie last year and then I, I thought like, okay, maybe I can wear a hoodie again. And I just realized it's like, I'm not, I'm never grabbing the hoodie. I'm grabbing a fleece if I want something casual or I'm grabbing mm-hmm. something. So probably my wardrobe is very based around sort of like, some specific archetypes like shell jacket, shirt yeah. jacket, soft shell trouser, wool trouser, um, some turtlenecks, some fleeces, some, yeah. So quite like some overcoats. So mixed probably of something which is more tailored and something that is more functional. I think it's probably where also my aesthetic is. I like when something clashes, when there is a mix of something that mm. is more natural and something that is synthetic. And when they when they meet that's beautiful <laughs> that's yeah. nice I, i'm not sure it's beautiful but i mean that's what i like it so. is it is the way you said it was beautiful um yeah. i remember i had on roy griffin and he also said he doesn't own a pair of sweatpants and i kind of was astounded by that but i also didn't own a pair of sweatpants until like the pandemic yeah well not even then yeah. i started buying arcteryx stow pants instead of sweatpants during the pandemic because i was going out so much um and then uh, it was during the summer. So I was wearing either shorts or those when I was going on more um, like in the bush type uh, hikes. But yeah, I, I've just recently started wearing sweatpants and I also don't wear hoodies. I'm more of like a sweat, like a crew neck sweater kind of guy. I just don't like having something big and bulky. Like even this fleece, um, the Uniqlo white mountaineering one, the collar is super high. And I don't know. I just, it's, I don't like having stuff pressing up against my neck like that all the time. It just kind of bothers me. I don't know why. There you see, you also have some preferences. Yeah, somebody, yeah, of which course. Is going to dominate your life. So, <laughs> yeah, I think I think everyone has preferences like that, or at least people that are like into the style aspect of things do have preferences like that, even if they're they might be unconscious, and it kind of guides their you know whole purchasing pattern. You know what I mean? Um, all right, I have another question for you, and it's tying in a lot to what you're talking about now. But uh, I can't do a very good British accent, and this is a extremely British question. So I'm going to get my roommate in here and he's going to say it for you. Give me a second. Well, funny. He's British then. No. Okay. Even worse. No. <laughs> um, 
No, he's not. He's not British, but he's uh, he watches the Premier League. So basically, he he'll know how to do it. That's why. Yeah, yeah. Why do I have to do it live? <laughs> there you go. Just uh, just read that. Enter Which one? The mic. This one right here. Oh, there's so much pressure. How does it feel being the most stylish outdoor geezer to walk the earth? Beautiful. Very British. Thanks. <laughs> Very British, he said. He said it was good, yeah. That's awesome. No, I'm not sure who asked the question, though. He said for the <laughs> that was other from, ones, that was from Gary Flume. That was from Gary Flume. Okay, yeah, but then I know Gary, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think it's strange also. I mean, people... I'm not sure. I mean, I used to work in fashion, right? And also then probably mm-hmm. sometimes I was never a guy with a huge budget, so I don't think it's also a matter of budget. So, and then also sometimes people said something similar to that and I quite find it quite funny because you're Scandinavian mm-hmm. and maybe quite modest in terms of how you approach it. I mean, I have fun yeah. with how I dress, but also, as I said, like a lot of how I, dre- I mean, I don't spend a lot of time on shopping and I don't spend a lot of time on dressing myself, but probably I consider what I buy so mm-hmm. that I actually don't have to consider so much yeah. in my daily life. Exactly. And then you I probably like also limited what I wear and what I don't wear. Mm-hmm. so for me it's just what comes natural but i mean of course now every a lot of this stuff is on trend as well so i mean then <laughs> it's like probably people find you stylish right now and yeah in five years i probably just look like any other dad but i mean maybe <laughs> i'm also a dad in five years so maybe it doesn't make any sense anymore so i mean let's <laughs> see who knows who knows so, yeah i i heard this other guy today was super upset about the fact that uh, drake was wearing broa and that i was yeah. promoting it we don't need mm-hmm. to go into celebrity but <laughs> then uh, he, he because he said i'm a skier and i'm a climber and now people they are telling me that i'm trying to show off because i'm wearing arteryx and then maybe it went a bit too far like this like normal skier dude is becoming like told off from his friends because he's wearing <laughs> arteryx and they think yeah. it's because he's trying to show off so i think that's also quite sad with this um trend let's say i mean i i'm i also told him i'm not one for gatekeeping i think it's cool mm-hmm. that more people are getting into something even for the wrong reasons if there are mm-hmm. any wrong reasons because mm-hmm. maybe eventually they will have some right reasons <laughs> uh, if you are to create a hierarchy in, for reasons but um yeah i mean for me it's like i will not stop wearing something just because someone else was wearing it so i think yeah. my approach is quite honest and that's probably the reply to the question is like i just wear whatever i want to wear and if people think it's cool i'm happy because it's i mean it's always nice as a human being that your ideas is resonating with someone else's so of course we dress for each other but we also mm-hmm. i mean i also dress for myself because i yeah find it i mean i just like i like wearing soft shell trousers i don't like to wear sweatpants and um, mm-hmm. yeah that's the just the sensation <laughs> there you go a very cool answer from a very cool guy uh let's see you talked about Roa a little bit mm, i'll ask this question first roy griffin yeah. actually wants to know did you get into the creative industry through sport or were you already involved I was already involved, so, but probably, yeah, I was already involved, but then, I mean, depends what is the creative industry, because, I mean, mm-hmm. I worked in fashion, but then I left fashion, then I did more yeah. advertising and marketing, still quite creative, but of course, mm-hmm. also commercial, and you have business goals to reach, but I mean, it's not like yeah. I still don't have any business goals to take care of, so, um, yeah, but in general, I think I was always quite creative but um yeah also more of a strategist maybe in the way i work and what i studied and yeah 
Okay. I mean, I'm also more of a facilitator and I prefer to work with people and to be a part of a team than doing everything 360 myself. Yeah. Um, well, that's actually good. Ben Greeny wants to know, what do you actually do for work day to day? Not just a job title. What does an average day look like for you? The funny thing when you work for us, a brand that is growing, that is not mm-hmm. small, but is still smaller in terms of organization, yeah. is that um, this question is very hard to answer. <laughs> so, for I mean, I can I, without having trying to tell details, I can maybe just run through my day to day. But yeah, uh, yeah, you don't have to yeah, give for any example, specifics. Like, no, but for example, this morning, I mean, we are still selling the shoes that people are now saw some leaks off for fall, winter 22, which means mm. shoes that will be delivered in, say, August. Mm. If the pandemic is um, yeah. quite under control, it will be August, maybe even mid-July. Uh, it can be September still, but let's see what happens. So then stores around the world, they are currently still looking at this product and trying to figure out what they want to buy and how much they want to buy. And as soon as they have closed this, we are going to collect all the orders or my team will collect the orders and then we look through it. And then we, uh, our production have to understand how much they need to order of something, of fabrics, of uh, all the things that go into a shoe. And then they need to ship that to a factory who is creating something. So this morning I was like looking over like how is everything of this performing and I needed to do some analysis to understand what is going well and what maybe needs to have a second push or what do we need to reconsider. And then uh, also this morning, someone was doing a shoot of the apparel that we just uh, will launch for for winter 22 as well, which is Mm -hmm. the first time. Uh, So I was also on WhatsApp trying to (laughs) help during this shoot, which happened in a different location. And uh, then after that, I had a meeting with someone from a big sports group talking about mm. a potential collaboration uh, for okay. Roa. And uh, of course, these kind of conversations happen all the time. And uh, many yeah. times nothing happens. And many times something happens three years down the road. So, and, mm. and but I mean, and I think that's also a part of how the industry is now. People want to do collaborations, but also if you do a collaboration, it should make sense with both Definitely. where you are yeah. as a brand, but also where you are going and the product in general. And I think in the afternoon, I looked over or we managed and worked through actually next spring's design. So spring, oh, wow. summer 23. And then we did some amendment and some changes and reworked on some color. And even while we were talking now, someone sent me some new renders. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so uh, yeah, that's how it goes. And uh, yeah. Then I also had a few calls with some of my colleagues to discuss some of um, their daily topics or stuff that happened in their work today that they needed mm-hmm. support on. And then probably tonight I have to also work on the apparel for spring 23, because if we need to arrive in wow. time, we need to do wow. it. So, And actually during my lunch, I went running to get some sunlight for one hour. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Busy day. So, it so sounds that like... can be a normal day. And <laughs> also on, on, on like tomorrow, the normal day might look completely different. But mm-hmm. then you're also dealing with logistics and you have to, uh, something needs to be shipped somewhere and some magazine wants to have this thing or even someone needs to pay an invoice or you need to send an invoice or... Mm-hmm. So there's also a lot of like... Um, I mean, some of the work is very inspiring, but I think it's also important to stress to some of people that are younger to me that there's a reason someone is willing to pay you. And the fact that it's a job is that 
a lot of work is actually work. And yeah. even if you are like an executive or like a, I mean, you're the CEO of a huge company, probably you need to approve someone's travel expenses or do some things which you don't find is, uh, I mean, important enough for your intellect or whatever. I mean, I met a lot mm. of people not willing to do or not wanting to do a lot of work, realizing, I mean, and you have to realize at some point, like every job has some of these tasks as well. So, because it seems like some people believe like only because they finished a three-year degree that they're too mm-hmm. good to open a box. And I'm the first guy to open a box with some new product that arrived from the factory because yeah. I really want to see it. So it's not like I have to wait for some other person to open the box for me or mm. yeah i think it's and i think you see people who who work well in teams and they like have a quite low sense of hierarchy they mm. i mean for me they work better because you are in the end working on the same project yeah awesome so it just sounds like you wear a ton of different hats and each day is a different adventure <laughs> Pro- probably <laughs> pretty close to the truth so yeah Nice. Um, Harrison FS wants to know, what is your relationship to Roa? Um, I think that you kind of answered it. I just needed to get out of the way so he didn't feel like I didn't answer his question, but you're just yeah. an employee, consultant. I'm, I'm consulting, but I'm kind of working. It's more than a hundred percent job for now. So I used to mm-hmm. do other stuff on the side as well. And I do a yeah. few small other things on the side, but right now it's more than I could take in theory. So, but I mean, I'm doing some small other things as well, but uh, I don't really find the time for it anymore, Uh, but I don't own the brand and I didn't found it, but um, yeah, I'm pushing it right now. So Awesome. I love to see it. Uh, It's talking a little bit more about the brand. Mad Mountain Man wants to know the new row of clothing looks great. What is your favorite piece? And he said he personally can't wait for the hooded shell. Probably for me as well. And this was something that I worked on from the beginning because Roa mm. never did apparel. So that was a project that we started. And yeah. I really love also the down jacket personally. I think that it was super cool because it was a down jacket. A lot of down jackets today and especially on these like curated Instagram profiles and others, when you see mm. them, you see them in like flat lay. <laughs> so they are flat on the ground yeah. and you have an idea about how they will fit. And then you see an like image of someone wearing it and it doesn't look like at least what I envisioned. And I discussed that with the team that I'm working on for the design. And they also have the same sort of understanding or sensibility. So we basically based this jacket on our idea of like a real mountaineering down jacket. Of course, this one is not made to go to the Himalayas, but like the, the image is the same and it's a high quality down jacket made in Italy. So, and um, it's super light as well. So for me, must maybe be the down jacket, but I also really love the shells. So, and I mean, I'm probably too heavy into jackets. Sometimes <laughs> when I was younger, I went like, I might go to buy a trouser because I felt I needed a new trouser and I come home mm-hmm. with a new jacket because I think <laughs> jackets are more interesting. But I mean, that's one thing. But if you need a trouser, then you need the trouser. You don't need a jacket. But I probably own more jackets than I own T-shirts, for example. Oh, wow. Which is really? probably the opposite. Yeah, I don't think it's wow because probably I have like way too little T-shirts. So, mm, okay. <laughs> so All because right. I mean, in the end for me, a T-shirt is a T-shirt. It doesn't really evoke too much. Uh, I mean, you can have a nice T-shirt, but it doesn't evoke so much emotion with me or have like so much functality. So I'm like, yeah. I'm happy to just have like a 
10 t-shirts and keep watching like uh, washing them and uh, mm -hmm. but i'm happy to have more than 10 jackets so, yeah. yeah i understand that i yeah <laughs> here where i live it is very hot so i have then to wear t-shirts for summer and most of most of spring also but uh yeah just necessity you know when you grow up in the colder parts of the world you can probably get away with only having 10 t-shirts yeah this is the last question i got for you today uh from 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 the list uh it kind of goes into the future bit as well uh if you had infinite funds for an art project what would you create i'm not sure if it's an art project only but what i really want to do which i can already sort of put out there and i also mm -hmm. told people at slam jam when i decided to join raw eyes for me it's like uh, I don't really care so much about product. I mean, I do, I'm saying it and I'm smiling, but I mean, I love product, <laughs> yeah. but I, I love people more. And also I yeah. hate a lot of people, to be honest. I'm quite, um, <laughs> like, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not into all people, but I mean, I believe in people and I believe in connection and I believe in mm -hmm. community. So if I was even at this brand or another brand or with infinite funds, what I would really mm -hmm. want to do is like, I would want to use the brand and if, and if it was big enough or I would like to build a, like a network of cabins. We have this thing in Norway already and other ah. countries do as well. But I would love to build modern architecture for the community and not to make money, but like something that would be pretty like just break even. Yeah. And that could be made as a community cabin. So people could visit, people could work from there. Maybe you want to be in a training camp. Maybe I just want to design the new Roa collection. Maybe <laughs> someone wants to just be cooking for us or to do something. Oh, but, wow. uh, because for me, I mean, my life is about experiences. I love to have some nice jackets and some nice shoes or whatever, but I uh -huh. I'm never going to sacrifice to have a nice jacket to not go to Chamonix in summer to go running. Yeah. And probably I think too many people do like you end up buying some uh, Air Jordan off white for 4,000 pounds, <laughs> but you cannot afford to go on summer vacation. Exactly. Uh, because you felt like you needed to stunt on your friends or whatever. <laughs> so, and also for me, like I'm happy to own some nice clothing. And I know that some people, like you said, like they appreciate your style or they think you're stylish. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I, it was never about a competition for me. I mean, if yeah. my friend has something nicer than me or they have more shoes than me, I'm happy for them. So mm -hmm. I would rather just like use something as a tool to create uh, experiences for people. And of course, the, the, that experience can also relate and, to an art gallery or to a concert or to music or to food. I mean, I don't only care about one aspect. I mean, I care also yeah. a lot about like reading a lot of philosophy. Mm -hmm. So I think everything that is culture for me, it fuels each other. So I'm, I would have, be happy to find some sort of platform where everything could be integrated. And also on a personal level, I really believe in the future that maybe some parts of this industry can be more open sourced. Mm. And it's very difficult. I mean, that's what I eventually want to do, but let's figure mm. out how, because I said like, there's a lot of people gatekeeping and trying to make it not happening mm -hmm. to protect what they are doing. But um, yeah, I'm not going to reveal my ideas completely because someone might do it before me, but, or maybe they want to invite me to do it. But imagine that a lot of, there's so much knowledge in a community. So a community can also together provide more resources back to their own community than someone just, just trying to capitalize on a community. Um, 
So that's also, I mean, I hope also in this project, I mean, we already did some shoes with someone from the community for ROA. I'm trying to bring in mm-hmm. more young people to work with stuff on me. I mean, we are still a smaller brand, consider it more also of a startup in terms of how it's managed. So, uh, but I'm also just questioning more and more why say Patagonia or other brands are not doing what I'm considering because I see them as this force, but they yeah. are not engaging the community. They're not asking someone to build a cabin. They're, they're not doing open source design. I mean, exactly. they're doing a recycled fleece, so good on them. But I mean, <laughs> and they're trying to protect the pipelines. So I mean, I still, yeah. I still like them for what they're doing. But they could also have been doing so much more. And yeah. I love the company, but I also see that it's now a huge global corporation, Brand. and they could yeah. have done even more. And yeah, yeah. So a couple of things. The first thing you mentioned was how uh, you don't really feel jealous or anything when you know your friend has more shoes or jackets or whatever. And I feel like that's a very distinctly Gorpcore kind of attitude because you know back in the good back in the good old days when I was a hype beast and most of the people in this scene started out buying Supreme and Palace and all that stuff. Um, that is a very a toxic culture of like, I need to have the Jordan off-whites. I need to have the new box logo. And like, if I have it and you don't, that means I'm better than you. And it's, it's very, um, I guess hierarchical, I guess is the right word, but yeah, just toxic of, you know, uh, I need to be better than the other people. And I think in this culture in general, people are just nicer. People are just, Oh, sick. You just got the new like Arcteryx jacket. That looks really cool. And like, I don't necessarily even want it, but you look, make it look good. And you're on like a really cool hike and just like, it looks awesome. You're having a good time. Um, which is another sentiment I've discussed a lot on the podcast already. Um, the other thing you said of, I wish that brands were doing more for the community. When I first got into the scene and I learned about Reese Cooper, um, if you're familiar with the brand, I sent, I sent an email to, um, (laughs) I sent an email to their contact contact email address they have on their website. And I was like, Hey, I have a really good idea to get more people outside and to like help sell your product at the same time. Email me back if this interests you. And I was just like, I had no idea what I was doing. I was like 18 years old, just sending an email to someone and and out of the blue, but I had a really cool idea for it. And I've had cool ideas, just like something you can, anyone can steal this idea because it's never been done, I think. But putting like a pop-up shop at the top of a mountain and making people climb to the top of the mountain to access the clothing, I think is cool. I think that's a cool idea and I want to see it done by someone. Um, and I've, I've even thought about like, okay, maybe I could just like sell a t-shirt, but then I'm the only person in this scene that lives in the United States, except for like two people. So I don't know if it would sell very well. Um, but yeah, just, just cool stuff like that of getting, using your brand to get more people outside, using more brand, like you were saying, to build like community spaces, which sounds super, super cool. Um, that is also awesome. And I'd love to see, like you were saying, Patagonia do something like that or North Face do something like that of really facilitating like a true community instead of just like, you know, they're donating millions of dollars, which is awesome. But I'd love to see more tangible, like, Hey, we donated, you know, however many, however many millions of dollars, but also we build these spaces to facilitate people going outside and to care about the planet more. I think that'd be an awesome initiative. Well, with that being said, Oh, kind of talk about, um, what, what, what's your take on the future of, the Gorp core scene in general. And I, I assume you consider yourself part of the scene. I've had some guests on who don't, but what do you, how do you see it like playing out in the future with these brands becoming more popular and the whole thing just kind of being a trend these days? I'm not sure. Also, I don't like the word, but I mean, I understand people use it. So because I mean, uh-huh. 
also seen for me it's like seems like i mean but it's a trend but i mean of course i mean i in the future i mean maybe it's like there if there is a trend then probably mm-hmm. there is a trend maybe the trend is peaking maybe it peaked already maybe the peak is likely in the future Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's a lot of oversaturation and there's also some trends that happen within this space that I'm a bit like yeah. tired of personally. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so I'm just happy to see some level of evolution. And I mm-hmm. think we will see new categories of product. We will see some hybrid products. We will see new product as well. And I think that's a positive side of a trend is that there is a lot of, vo- there is more volume than before, more people caring. Uh, mm-hmm. So that also means there is more space to do stuff, which maybe before wouldn't have a market. So you can do something that is maybe more weird or may more strange and couldn't maybe make sense before. Um, so yeah. for me, that's just positive in the end. But I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm also there's some like elements of a trend, which I'm quite tired of. Like, I mean, I don't have TikTok. I'm getting too old, but it's like, <laughs> well, I'm not sure why there are so many people with an alpha SV in their shower, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm also not sure, like, I mean, there's even a picture of me with like this super sort of singed hoodie on a uh-huh. jacket, but I was going to a peak in the middle of summer and there was a snowstorm. <laughs> and now there's oh, wow. like all these guys standing in the street in London with a singed hoodie and a balaclava and looks like you're about more about to rob a bank than <laughs> going anywhere, you know? So it's like, I mean, I understand it looks cool or to some uh-huh. extent, but it's also for me, like, it, that's not functional corny. or that's yeah. not practical yeah it's just something completely strange so okay I, mean, I would never go out like that in sunny weather so mm. <laughs> I, mean, I mean if people enjoy it i'm happy they enjoy it but i'm not sure for how long they will enjoy it so mm-hmm. well I've, I've said it before uh i think there is a trend aspect to it all like this is definitely like what you're saying the arcterics in the shower and all that that's becoming a trend a little bit in kind of just mainstream fashion but I don't think the whole going outside and wearing clothes that allow you to do it better. I don't think that's going to go away. I don't think people are just going to be like, Oh yeah, I did hikes for two years and not, I mean, some people will, but a majority of people won't be like, yeah, I'm just kind of done hiking. Like the clothes aren't cool anymore. I think that the clothes kind of come second and the going outside is what really motivates people to be in this scene in general. Yeah. And I think also probably a lot of the product is quite timeless, right? Mm -hmm. So definitely. Um, I, th- I think if you find the color that you like and you find some of the stuff that you like, I don't see why you should need to change it all the time. Maybe some mm-hmm. people have bigger wardrobes than others. I mean, also someone like me, I mean, if you're inside an industry or like if you're running, like say, for example, if I stay with my in my car or not even my car now, but the car I rented <laughs> for three mm-hmm. weeks yeah. during summer, uh, then and it's like over here it can be a rainy in summer like probably i i would like to have three or four waterproof jackets for running that doesn't make any sense for someone not living my lifestyle or running like mm-hmm. i do so yeah. probably i have like acquired more product than they do as well so probably some people will want to have more and even probably someone if they want to have like four colors of a shell to wear a different color every day or <laughs> to look fresh or to like yeah. stunt on their friends I mean, I think there is also space enough for some people to do that. I mean, I'm not going to judge. And, and of course, it's consumption can become excessive, but I'm not yeah. sure if that is more excessive than a lot of other consumption people are already doing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree. That makes sense. Um, I know you are short on time at this point, but uh, normally at the end of the podcast, I do a little shout out, um, shout out segment. So if you could, 
find like, you know, two or three people or accounts that you really enjoy and just kind of give them a shout out. I will do the same. And you can, you can take the time you need to find those. You don't have to be on the spot for it. Should do my, should do my friends. Should I should do <laughs> hiking patrol. Okay. She's a good friend of mine. Also Oslo based. Probably oh, some nice. of you know him already. Of course. Yeah. And um, then I should do Sean Luke, which you probably know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jay, uh, how is it? J underscore L A dot yeah. L underscore. Maybe he should change his name. I told him because every <laughs> time I'm trying to message him as well, I cannot remember how he writes his profile. Yeah, I always just do uh, J underscore L A. Yeah, it's quite like a talented young designer uk based mm-hmm. maybe also not sports or maybe not completely corporate or outdoor but i think he moves in that space of say functional yeah. wear and also city oriented i see maybe even not even to compare but it's like new generation of maybe what acronym meant to that generation mm. right okay. so yeah. i mean feeling a similar kind of spot mm-hmm. And then maybe I should also do, since we are on them, I should do underscore Octi, which we did a collaboration with for yeah. a while. Who does this jewelry, like topography-based jewelry, which we did something together with. So I like also a lot of her stuff. So mm-hmm. I was just talking to Ali George Hinkins, and yeah, he also shouted out Octi because he has a uh, necklace from her. Cool. Ah, okay. So he got one as well. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out who I know that got something, but I'm slowly <laughs> seeing yeah, who is wearing it. Another name for you. Uh, awesome. Do you have anyone else? I think I took three now, but I mean, we yeah. can do more. No, no, you're good. Three, three's good. Um, yeah. I'm I can shout also do out. a photographer. I want to do oh, it yeah, because he's it. a cyclist and it's uh, Joe Harper. Okay. Like J Harp photo. J Harp photo. Okay. J Harp photo, yeah. Also did some like good cycling photos, outdoor yeah. stuff in general. Followed me during a race two years ago, but I mean, I enjoy okay. a lot his mood in general. Nice. I am going to shout out Wellwishers88. Um, they designed a logo for... Uh, my friend Seth Footring, who does the 502 Bad Gateway magazine. And um, I posted on my story yesterday, just like the sticker that came, that comes with the magazine. And it's so cool. And so he sent me the account that made the sticker. Very, very cool stuff. Uh, also, namu.ora, N-A-M-U.ora. Also a really cool account. Um, just general mood board aesthetics, uh, kind of a lighter palette just nice stuff just a, a nice a wholesome a wholesome scroll and who else you need one more <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm scrolling i I'm, what i do is i go on my um i go on oh. my following and i sort by latest and i just scroll down and so most of them i've already done uh, so i have to keep scrolling until i see what i haven't done yet um oh shout out the backwoods baron i believe it was gary flume who told me about him he has he runs an account called special bird service which is a bird watching community um Mm -hmm. 
and I don't know where he's based, but a very, very cool page. Um, very nice guy. And uh, cool to see a bird watcher in the community because I don't feel like we see a lot of that. So nice to see the the bird watching content on my feed sometimes. So yeah, shout out to him as well. That's cool. Yeah, there we have now it. I got some new stuff to check out. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, Patrick, I will not hold you for any longer, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. And yeah, I'm happy to jump on another time and answer some questions about the uh, best jackets and then uh, just reply <laughs> there is no best, best jacket. Yeah, but exactly. if someone has a, want to know something within a specific category, then maybe we can geek out. So yeah, send him a message and ask what's your favorite jacket for blank. And that's a little bit easier to respond, you know? Yeah. Or we can do like a camping food panel. Oh, that would be fun. I was thinking so people can try to brag about the stuff they used to go. Even Gary can join because uh, (laughs) then we can do me like a proper vegetarian outdoor camping with uh, someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know him and also uh, Cooper Gill apparently goes crazy on the outdoor, like the camping food and all that. So he told me he was bringing charcuterie boards and stuff up the mountain, which is pretty insane. I will show more pictures because I have pictures, but I didn't share what I normally cook. Maybe maybe that's this summer. I will really share what I'm cooking. Yeah. Jump into the cooking. You might inspire me to bring something other than hot dogs and burgers up the mountain. (laughs) I will. I mean, that's nice as well. But I mean, if you go out for 30 days, I mean, probably you will get tired of it. So (laughs) I have never done that before. The most I've ever done has been like four days. So That's it, it doesn't get, yeah, it doesn't get boring. I'm kind of a poser in that regard. Uh, anyway, Patrick, thank you so much for coming on and I'll talk to you later. Perfect.